Yeah, do you want, All right. Do you want to do the, the flavor, Thomas? Sure. You want me to count us in? No, I'm not here to... Five, to, four, to three, two... It, it's Hello show. and welcome it's to... Show. What? It's your show. <laughs> You're walking all over me. <laughs> That's my term. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. I'm Sam Harrelson. I'm David Real. There we go. Nice. It's almost like we're professionals. Not really. <laughs> no, yeah, we're definitely not. Anybody that's listened to the more than one show knows that we are not professionals. And if you'd listen to the pre-show with us trying to just get it started. It's not us. Like, it's how just, have they been doing this for so long? It's Skype. Skype is horrible. Okay. Um, so, big week, huh? Yeah. I mean, I think... Uh... I mean, what, what's what's a today like Friday? Is it Friday yet? What what going on? We got we got uh, some football news. We got some some people throwing touchdowns and kneeling in the end zone or something, yep. or, or something, or kneeling across the field before the. That's what happened in the Monday night game, right? Man, kneeling that, Jer- across that the Jerry field. Jones image. Jerry <laughs> Jones, <laughs> it's like God. scratch record. <laughs> You know, and, and you know, he was, you could see the look on his face, right? He was feeling himself, too. I was like, come on, man. It's like, like, I'm, so, I'm so righteous right now. I'm so, yeah. I'm so woke. Yeah. So so let's talk about that real quick. D-Ray, let's get your input on that real quick. Um, I've obviously written about this a little bit, talked about it a lot on Twitter, about the whole take a knee thing. Um, I think you know the sports world probably a little bit better than Sam and I do. So uh, I've seen a lot of reaction on various sides. What's your kind of general... Um, you know, off the cuff take on the kind of how the take a knee thing kind of really blew up in the past week or so um, when it's been over a year since uh, Colin Kaepernick initially decided to uh, protest during the national anthem. Well, I mean, with Trump tweeting on Saturday night, I'm sorry to step on you, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I just want to say, because I don't know anything about sports except for NASCAR. Like, like the immediacy of the response of the, of the NFL was really interesting. But anyway, that's all I'm going to say. Yep. Yeah, here's a weird fact. I was actually at the Panthers 49ers game the first time Kaepernick took a knee. It was the one game that I that I worked for uh, Black and Blue Review, which is a Panthers website. And uh, so I was there when this all started. And I think, like, t- I mean, Sam, you just mentioned it. The Trump tweet has kind of spurred this on it was kind of fading away in the retrospect and this in the right like there weren't a ton of people doing it i mean i think i think like the first week there might have been seven or eight people who were doing it so like i think it was kind of uh dying down a little bit and you know everybody is saying like like we've been hearing for the past eight months like this is just a diversion from the fact that the healthcare bill has been a disaster um and this is trump trying to spin it to something else so you'll worry about it so you'll worry about something else i mean i have seen Video after video, and I mean, this This is like, I mean, these are just little, one example, so I don't think this is happening. I mean, CBS reported that their ratings actually went up this week, but I've still seen these videos getting shared on Facebook of people, like, burning all their NFL team's favorite gear. They're like, if anybody on my, and I'm like, come on. Like, so, I mean, I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of stuff that can be said about it. One interesting thing that I've seen go around is that, like, in college football, people don't um, the teams are not on the field so like at at every unc football game florida state football game and and unless they do it differently anywhere else the teams are in the locker room when the national anthem happens 
Right. So that's a very distinct possibility. We saw it happen this week in the uh, Pittsburgh Chicago game, where a lot of the Pittsburgh, I mean, the entire Pittsburgh team except one player, stayed in the locker room. Right, Alejandro so Villanueva. Right, right. So I'm, I'm really curious um, to see where um, that goes, like the procedure of it. And this is like a relatively new thing. It started in 2009. Um, so like this has not been going on forever. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in. It. In a lot of ways, but I do feel like people are getting uh, um, oversaturated by, by. I mean, like it's every every everywhere you turn, you're hearing somebody else's opinion on it, and, right. um, well, and which is not a bad thing. But you, I mean, you realize why it started in 2009, right? I think somebody. I I feel like I've heard that, read this before. It, uh, somebody got paid for, to do it, right? Uh, yeah, the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so basically, NFL, NASCAR, NBA, college sports uh, were paid, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, not each, but in lump sum. And now the Department of Defense, as of 2017, is giving back some of the money, especially to the NCAA. Um, well, I mean, uh, from what they pay to the NCAA back to kind of their coffers, which doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's a drop in the bucket because the Defense Department has billions and billions of dollars. But at one time, like in NASCAR, there was... There was a Coast Guard car, there was the Air Force Reserves car, there was this car, that car. And I, I remarked to my wife um, when she went with me to like the Darlington race one time in, in 2006, 2007, like, you know, it, it wasn't always this way where we had the Star Spangled Banner, God Bless America, Presentation of the Colors, the National Anthem, you know, like uh, Flyover. Like, that really started after 9-11, but it really kind of amped up in like 2007, 8, 9, 10. And it turns out that um, the, yeah, the federal government was paying, you know, the NFL for like a, a recruitment feature, which I, 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 I'm not as a professional person who makes his money and, and pays his mortgage based on marketing. I'm not going to argue with that, but, um, you know, when, when someone like Richard Petty, you know, who, who's, you know, Mr. NASCAR or whatever, when he says, um, you know, if you don't stand up for the pledge of allegiance, then you should be deported from the country. When he sat in the car for every race that he was in, including his last race, because like like you said, <laughs> David Ray, like uh, traditionally, you know, NFL players especially were in the locker rooms or NBA players, and you know, NASCAR drivers sat in their cars because it takes a, a lot of work to actually get into the car and get strapped in and all that stuff. So now they have a five minute uh, little time period where they have to get in and get strapped up. But it, it was only uh, 2009, again, when that rule went into place where the drivers and the crew all had to stand outside of the car and, and do the Pledge of Allegiance thing, which goes back to, I mean, not, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, nationalism is money. So I, I don't think, it, and I'll put a link in the show notes to, uh, to the article, and I think it was the Wall Street Journal that's talk, that talks about this from 2011 or 2012. Um, when it kind of started breaking, but, um, like my favorite driver, Ryan Newman, uh, he was sponsored by the army and they paid $25 million a year to be on the side of his car for, you know, four years, five years. And, um, you know, it wasn't until senators and, and Congress people started really, um, pushing that, that note that, um, you know, we, we kind of realized like, well, we, maybe we don't need to spend all this money on, on army Navy sponsorships. So now there are no cars, in, at least in NASCAR, that, that do that. Um, you know, and, and there's been all these great articles this week, or I mean, um, not this week, geez, 
this news cycle <laughs> in the last 12 hours uh, <laughs> about how, you know, the, the flag code has nothing to say about standing up or putting your, you know, how you salute the flag during the national anthem. But it does say you shouldn't hold it, you know, horizontally against the ground and those types of things that, you know, that was actually going on. In the NFL, Monday night NASCAR. at the Monday night and game. Monday night football, right? <laughs> but, like, but we're, so, we're so going to boo Jerry Jones, people, yeah, right. A bunch of the people in the in the stands booed. So the entire Dallas team took a knee, at, you know, across the middle of the field, expressly before the national anthem was sung, and then stood up, and then they started the national anthem. And we'll just say parenthetically here, Jordan Sparks sang the national anthem, and she had. Uh, written on the side of her hand, Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, which says, speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So well done, Jordan Sparks. But they made a point to stand up before the national anthem started, and then they unfurled this flag and you know carried it horizontally across the field, which is a violation of the flag code. But nobody in the stands booed that, but they booed the Cowboys kneeling before the national anthem. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of amazing. I mean, it's not surprising uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and if you think about it, I mean, there was no, we didn't play the national anthem before sporting events uh, until World War II, right? So it is, again, this kind of nationalism bit that you're talking about, that that's what, uh, that's definitely what sells. Um, I've got a, I wrote a piece last year about Colin Kaepernick. We'll drop that. Uh, in the show notes too, but about um, you know kind of how we engage with patriotism and how patriotism, uh, in a lot of respects, at least a certain type of patriotism, that which is getting press right now, those people that are booing um, players that are kneeling, uh, that type of patriotism is only um, open to a certain privileged class. So, anyway, I mean, yeah, I think you're right, D-Ray. Everybody is giving their two cents on this. Um, but I, I do think that it, the at least one of the good things we've seen is there are a number of people trying to say this is obviously not like he's clearly not protesting the flag or protesting um, you know the armed forces or anything. Uh, it's actually you know done a kind of a really respectful thing. And Eric Reed had this really great uh, op-ed about why he initially decided to kneel with Kaepernick and how they decided that kneeling was actually really res- a really respectful move uh, and that they wanted to. They wanted to kind of do that. So um, anyway, we can't really this is the the elephant flag in the room. So we couldn't we couldn't miss it. But but uh, if, if you're well, a white if you're a white male, don't put on Facebook like, well, for me and my house, we choose to stand up for our flag. I, I saw that so much over the weekend. And yeah, especially from Baptist ministers. Anyway, just just going to throw that yeah. out there. Uh, I was just going to have one other thing that. You know, Thomas, you mentioned this with the with the flag being horizontally brought out. Like the other thing is, I saw a lot of people talking about is that I'm confused. You know, the Cowboys after they need, they got booed for kneeing before the anthem, right? So they're not kneeling during right. the anthem, and they still got booed, but it's not actually during the anthem. So that kind of proves the point that you're not actually booing them for the act of kneeling during the anthem. You're now booing them for the act of kneeling. And secondly, then they crossed arms during the um, anthem, so they're not in the you know, as we're now hearing respect, the truly respectful, right. um, uh, you know, hand over your heart, left hand to your side, right hand across your heart. So like, even that technically isn't like what people are wanting. So like, I'm, com- like, that's proof to me that like, no, you're not actually 
booing and getting so upset about, you know, what you say you are. And and I saw it on Facebook, and this is kind of funny too, but it was like the saying that these that these guys who are kneeling are kneeling because of the flag. They're that they're um, <clears throat> because of the flag is like saying Rosa Parks sat on the sat on the back row because or sat on the front row because of um, public transportation. Right. So it's kind right. Of same, or like, kind or of like saying a hunger strike is anti-food. Right. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, I mean, but, you know, it's funny. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is a distraction, et cetera, et cetera. But you have a significant portion of the country now that is talking about this very thing. And, you know, sure, a lot of people are talking about it incorrectly, but they're still talking. They're still having a conversation. And a lot more people are having a conversation about why. Why did he start doing that in the first place? Than we're having this conversation six months ago or even a year ago when he started. Well, I mean, th- so. and this conversation is only going to get better now that Twitter has 280 characters. Right. Um, and so, you know, close your eyes and imagine Donald Trump tweeting about this, which he's done like 21 times in the last two days. And, and then imagine him having twice the space to do that. And, and you know, like we're, we're going to have such a better conversation now that, that Twitter has twice the space of characters. Which we've we've talked about on the show as well, and, and my distaste for that. But um, here we are, and yeah, I mean, yeah. So I don't know. I, I like the yes, of course, 140 is vestigial, right, um, from the SMS or the early SMS days of Twitter. But so there's there's nothing sacred about it, and 280 is better than a thousand characters, right? Which they were toying around with a couple years ago. Um, I don't know. I still think there's some things that they could do to keep the 140 character limit, but to keep things, you know, they've done a good job now where replies, people in a reply thread, their handles don't count toward your character limit. But why, for instance, do uh, links still count to your character limit, right? There's a lot of things that they could do to kind of still get around this where they're not doubling the character limit. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it will be... Just, this move will not be the death of Twitter by any means. Um, I, but I think it does in a lot of ways exemplify Twitter, not listening to Twitter users. And what we've talked about for years now on the show, uh, people at Twitter don't use Twitter. <laughs> right. Right. And so like, they don't have the user experience that the rest of us have on a daily basis, especially uh, professor Mc- McBacon, you know, who just right, exactly. and, and gifts. Yeah. <laughs> it's solely in gifts but you know um so what yeah of course everybody wants an edit button i want an edit button uh, but there's also there are things that are way more important right no 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 edit buttons and, you know, like why, why do people want an edit button can you imagine if donald trump had an edit button right no but it's not buttons. like you also can't track what's being edited i mean it's not, uh, I, don't, it's not a I, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal uh, yeah. Facebook has an you know has an edit feature and nobody flip you know nobody's flipping out about that. Yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, but but that's that's part of the the. But you've been allowed to delete tweets for years, and you yeah. think Donald Trump would have been smart enough to do that, and he's not smart enough to do that. So right, I I, I just don't think the edit button is is all of a sudden now going to like that's going to be the gate that opens that allows fascism to take over in America. <laughs> I don't think so either, but I, I don't. I don't like the, the idea of being able to edit this. Like, then you're making it really into kind of a more of a, a blog composed, you know, piece thing. And right. So like microblogging. Yeah, I know. I know the term. I came up. I helped come up with it with Tumblr in 2006 when I was there, and you were in diapers. 
But um, the the idea of of being able to edit this is not like that. That kind of betrays the point, you know. And and you you don't want to go back and be able to edit something from two thousand and nine that you said. Um, yeah, you can take screen captures, all that stuff, and I've done that, Kofefe. Um, but um, I love Twitter. I love Twitter. I want Twitter to succeed. Twitter's not going to succeed if it's it's if it's going to keep this format of trying to become a social network that's just through one company. It should be an open protocol that allows for uh, mass communication, as we said in 2008. But that's a whole nother podcast. We don't have a whole lot of time to, to go through that. But anyway, speaking of, of things that need to change, um, here, here in the United States, we're rapidly moving into the age of Margaret Atwood, and, and pretty soon my fertile wife will be a handmaiden. Um, but in Saudi Arabia, women are now allowed to drive. Right, well, almost allowed to drive. That, that might be the best segue I've ever done on this show. I have to put that out. There. No. It was. It was. Um, it was pretty good. I think we need to. We need to hear from the the listeners to <laughs> to rank our listeners. rank our segues. Um. Uh, yeah. So, so the thing with Saudi Arabia this is interesting. So this was hitting the the news just uh, right before we uh, came on today. So. It's not that it has actually been illegal for Saudi Arabian women to drive, or at least there was no formal law banning it. Um, it was just that the government wouldn't issue them permits. And then, of course, they would get arrested uh, if they did drive. So maybe actually it was illegal. But anyway, so what they're saying now is that they're actually going to be issuing permits, um, but it's not gonna, they're not going to be able to get them before June 2018. So they, they still have some time. But, but a big announcement and, and definitely you know, part of some larger reforms that are going on in Saudi Arabia now is they're trying to, um, I'm not going to say modernize, I am going to say improve their image. Um, there's a question about how kind of pos- like this may be a positive thing. This is a positive thing. There's a, there are questions about um, how positive a lot of their other um, kind of reforms are and the, and the means by which they're they're going about them. But uh, nonetheless, a big news uh, I think coming out today. We don't want to we don't want to miss that. I was going to make a joke about South Carolina, but I won't I won't go there. Um. Yeah. I don't know. All right, the travel ban. South Saudi Arabia is not on the travel ban list. Fifteen of twenty people on nine eleven, you know, were from that country. Anyway, I, I think we we give Saudi Arabia a lot of credit. Where credit maybe not due. Just my personal opinion. As as a as a conservative, who's running for uh, Congress next next term, you know. No response. Saudi Arabia is not. Um, I don't know. I saw the news break too, and it's like, wow, we're we're, we're celebrating this, but. Mm. And our president was there with his hand on the globe, and he got a he got a, a scimitar and some cool stuff. <laughs> Shouldn't have touched the orb. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jared signed. Wait, a, when was that? That was like March. It was like yeah. <laughs> No, that was like May. That was like freaking May. Man, God. the news cycle of 2017. It really is like, what, six hours now? I mean, it can't be more than that. I it know. was May. Yeah. Yeah. See? And, and you know, Jared signed the huge arms deal, and it's like, well, now we like Saudi Arabia. And 
Donald Trump got to dance. Remember Steve Bannon dancing with the yep. with the Saudi guys, and he looked like he was scared to death. Steve <laughs> Bannon, who thinks that um, you can class up an outfit by just adding more shirts to it. Oh. More collars, Thomas. It's more collars. <laughs> collars on collars on collars. Yeah. Did, have you seen the the reports about this? Like his uh, he, he he says that it it comes from his time at a Virginia military school, and he calls it beachwear. And I'll, I'll go back and find the articles. I swear to God, I'll go back and find the articles and, and put them in the show notes. And uh, he calls it beachwear, and he says that he he picked up that trend of wearing like at least three shirts. And and his senior aide says he never wears two shirts, even if he's um, only if he's in coat and tie, but he but he still has an undershirt on like he should as a gentleman. But when he's in quote casual wear, like he was at the 60 Minutes interview, he had like four shirts on, and that's kind of his standard thing to do is wear at least three shirts. Um, let's be clear, uh, there's nothing about Steve Bannon that is gentlemanly. <clears throat> <laughs> but I mean, I could. Okay, so when when I was a, a teenager, I was really skinny, and I, and and uh, I I was trying to do the whole Kurt Cobain from Nirvana thing, where you wear like a lot of layers to to make yourself look bigger. So when I was in high school, I would wear like an undershirt and then a t-shirt on top of the undershirt, and then like a flannel shirt or whatever, because I was, you know, I was like a a grunge kid, early '90s, and uh, you know, I kind of beefed myself up that way. But like Steve Bannon doesn't need to be any beefier, right? I mean, I'm not. I don't want to body shame Steve Bannon. Right. But that, that that is right. He he's not a he he's not a, a skinny you know, um, thirteen year old in 1996 that needs to beef up. Come as you are, as you were, as you as I want you to be. Speaking of Steve Bannon, we got a big matchup: Matthew versus Revelation, the Gospel of Matthew, John's Apocalypse, two two of the most well known books. Of the Bible, that's why they made it to the final four. And tonight we're doing the final four. We've got Matthew versus Revelation first, and then we have First Samuel, the only book of of the Hebrew Bible to make it, <clears throat> and then Mark, another gospel, <laughs> another gospel. You know, it's kind of, um, you know, as you sit back and kind of take the bird's eye view on this, it's shocking that First Samuel made it through. It really is, <laughs> right? I mean. As you, as you pointed out many times, Sam, right? There are sixty-six books in the in the Hebrew it's, Bible. It's there are twenty-seven of, books of the, of the, in the New Testament, the right? It's the vast majority of the text, et cetera, et cetera. Right? We get all that. How does First Samuel make it out of that? I thought Genesis was going to be the one. Honestly, that was that was my bet. <laughs> That's why I fell on the sword for First and Second Kings. I know. I mean, First Kings is a better book. Second Kings is a much better book than First Samuel, but. Here we are. Here we are. Okay, so this is just, you know, two small matchups, easy matchups tonight. Matthew and Revelation for Samuel and Mark. We had to make sure that uh, the David Ray was on the show with us because um, we the, the Elite Eight was uh, tough enough. It was hard enough. Um, and, uh, yeah, just this Final Four is definitely difficult. So we want to make sure that we had uh, some way – that we weren't going to end up with with ties, um, so yeah, I've I don't been know. Do we this all day? <laughs> Good. It's just going to be a bloodbath. Okay, so so how do we do this? 
do do we make David Rogo David Rogo last on oh. both matchups and and know that he's the deciding factor, or um, do we let him go first on each matchup and then alternate um, me and Sam going last on the matchups? I'm I'm gonna make another uh, another uh, oh. suggestion. I'm gonna say we each do our thing and we rotate it. And perhaps we we leave a uh, uh, a vote to the to the listeners. Do we want to do that, or is that that a little too democratic? Because I, I think it's a little too democratic. But it might be a little too democratic. I mean, this is the Bible we're talking about. It's not like it was the books were chosen democratically to get in the Bible in the right, first then, place. Then fuck it. Let's just do it the same <laughs> way we've been doing it. <laughs> so, exactly. All right. Yeah. So so we go one two three, and whoever starts goes yeah. We go that way. I think, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to go overtly for Samuel, but I will say. You know, I, I've I've I feel like, you know, from from uh, Game of Thrones here, we're, we're at the Red Wedding and uh, enjoy your wine. Thomas, uh, in the Red Wedding, <clears throat> uh, numerous people get their throats cut. That's kind of the it's the it's the whole gist of that. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, since I don't watch Game of yeah, Thrones, I did know. I, I did at least understand the um, the the cultural reference enough to know that it's from Game of Thrones, and that there was a lot of blood. Yeah, I understood. That <laughs> there, there will be blood. <laughs> okay, um, I'll jump in. Okay, I'll I'll go ahead and say this. So I have scores for both of the matchups already determined. Me too. I'm in. Me too. Okay, so, yeah. And, and so, okay, we're well, all going to change scores. it. I'm not going to change and it. And we're going to stick to our scores. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. And uh, I've been so, doing that, but <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> let the chips fall where they may. For the most part, I have. Though I did not do it um, for for all the matchups last week, but mm-hmm. I I did oh, I, I, I did it today. Okay. So and that's, also, I mean, you, you we could say the scores right now, and then just have to tell us why we did it that way if you want to get it that way. Well, if, if oh. you want that, if you want that, you should go to patreon.com slash thinking religion <laughs> <laughs> and give us money because last week we should have done that because we had we had a conversation about the scoring and about how scores changed and that would have been awesome for our real hardcore fans. But you know what? You missed out on that because you don't give us money. So patreon.com slash thinking religion and you get, you get to hear that kind of fun stuff. But no, we're, we're going to hold it tight. This is a this is a Game of Thrones. This is a game of game of poker. Okay, I'll start because I don't want to start on the next one. So I'll start with Matthew versus Revelation. Um, and you know maybe this is because it's in the news right now, and you know the whole Jeff Sessions talking about um, free speech is under attack on college campuses, which is you know pretty laughable. Um, it it really struck me today that that Matthew is the safe space gospel. You know, because if you think about it, it takes Mark and it's like, oh, no, Mark is definitely too controversial. There's no virgin birth. There's no resurrection. Uh, They leave with an empty tomb and they don't tell anybody, right? For they said nothing for they were afraid. Um, And and Matthew's like, we can't deal with that. So we got to we got to clean that up. And then you have the Sermon on the Mount and you have Luke's version, which says blessed are the poor, which actually says something. And then Matthew's like, I don't know about that. Let's sanitize this a little bit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? So it strikes me that Matthew is kind of the the safe space gospel. Um, and I don't know that that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, 
so I've said a lot of positive things about Matthew in the past. So I'm going to have to so I'm start, you know, maybe a little thing that's uh, it's not so positive, a little negative with Matthew there. And, you know, as I think about Revelation, we talked about kind of really laying out how do we uh, read Revelation and, and understanding it as apocalyptic literature. Um, so I wanted to get in a little bit of that, not not totally, um, but, you know, we've talked about reading it, you know, reading the symbolism and understanding it. And so the thing, you know, that I wanted to talk about, the little bit I wanted to talk about was 666, which, um, ironically enough, was the price of my order at Chick-fil-A the other day. It was $6.66, which was amusing. But by the way, uh, the astute listener will know $6.66 is actually not 666 because it's 666. And this is important because there's this great video that I know I've talked about on the show before where this guy, um, the, this this old white guy, uh, talks about the numerology that he understands, that he thinks he sees in the music videos of uh, Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen and Gangnam Style by Psy. And it's kind of a fantastic music video, but he does these wonderful uh, mental and um, isogetical gymnastics where he says, oh, look, there's a six on this column in the parking lot, and there's a six on this lady's shirt, and there's a nine, and if you rotate it, it's also a six, and we have 666, and that's the mark of the beast, right? Which is how a lot of uh, people read Revelation. Um, but you do have this great bit where it says you know, um, the number, and it tells us, what does it tell us? It says that... Um, uh, let me open it up here. Uh, this calls for wisdom. This is in uh, Revelation 13, uh, verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let anyone with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. So it tells us, I mean, this is what's kind of amazing about Revelation, right? Is it actually tells us how to read the text. It says, I'm going to give you a number, and I'm going to tell you that this number corresponds to a person and I'm going to trust that you're smart, smart enough to figure out who the person is. And so you figure out what the letters are, what letters correspond to which numerical values, and you get 666, and it comes out to Nero Caesar, uh, which would be Neron Kaiser. Um, and, you know, we have, you know, N is 50, uh, R is 200, uh, W is 6, et cetera, et cetera. Or, so... Um, so it works out to Nero Caesar. So it's clearly a reference to Caesar here, which makes sense about the time that it was written and, um, or at least the time period that it's kind of setting itself in, in the persecution, uh, Nero's persecution in the sixties. And so, so this to me is a good example of how revelation should be read versus how people read it, right? Where it, it gives us the tools to understand it here. Right, the same with the city on the seven hills. It gives us the tools to understand that that is uh, Rome that they're talking about. So anyway, okay. So those are a couple things I want to talk about. Um, and yeah, I'm just kind of down on Matthew today. And I don't know. You, you just can't beat Revelation, it, even with how badly, how poorly people read read Revelation. Um, it's it has more cultural influence. And overall, I do think it's a better book because it's just a much more interesting book. And it is the best fodder for the Brick Testament, right? Y'all, so I know that y'all are familiar with the Brick Testament. For readers that aren't— <laughs> That's not a criteria. <laughs> the Brick Testament is basically the Bible in uh, Lego pictures. 
Uh, and so just just read through the book of Revelation in the Brick Testament, um, and mm. it is it is amazing. I, I used to use it in my New Testament classes on campus. So anyway, so I'm voting for Revelation 3 to 2 over Matthew. All right. Those are, those are terrible criteria. 3 to 2. <laughs> All right, John David. Do you want to – did I call you John David? Yeah, sorry. Did, did you want to go next, or do you want me to go next? Sam, you go for it. All right. I'll break this tie so I don't have to break the next tie because the next tie, the next one's going to be ugly. It's it's not going to be a tie. So, um, my my precious Old Testament ha- has been assumed by supersessionism during this tournament. Matthew is is still to me. I, I know this is perhaps not the the most up to date reading, but it still kind of is a not a rejection of Paul, but there is still some. Um, I think there's some antinomianism uh, there in, in Paul that that perhaps Matthew is reacting against. Um, that there's some idea that that Jesus is connected to the law and the prophets, and not only that, but the, the author of Matthew really kind of ties that notion of Jesus fulfilling the law with eschatology in a way that. I think it's really clever, and I think it, it stands the test of time. When we look at like, what, what you said, Thomas, like with the Sermon on the Mount, but also when we look at things like Matthew 10, which we've talked about this whole tournament, which is a, a fascinating and, and wonderful chapter where Jesus um, talks about uh, the, the mission and, and kind of gives the apostles this, um, th- this newfound authority. Uh, setting them up, setting them up both in, in an eschatological uh, framework, but also in a, in a very practical framework of of going out and spreading the word. And I, I, Revelation is a fantastic, wonderful, fascinating book. But there's lots of parts of Revelation that you know don't necessarily. I don't know. It, it it's it's. Apocalypse literature, which I think is fascinating, wonderful, but it doesn't have the same resonance as something like Matthew when it comes to uh, books that matter over time. So yes, you know, the Brick Testament is is fun when you get the white throne and you get Jesus with the tattoo on his thigh and those types of things. But when you talk about actual, you know, theology and, and what a book brings to the understanding of the Bible, I think Matthew is trying to bridge that gap between the Old and New Testament in a way that a lot of the New Testament doesn't do. Um, Jesus being Jewish, Paul being Paul, I'm going to go with Matthew 4.1 over Revelation. Wow. That's big. That is really big. I'm leaving a door. I mean, you you are definitely leaving a door open. All right. Uh, Do you want me to... Say what my score is first, and then explain why, or should I do it vice versa? Yeah, do it vice versa. Yeah, yeah tell us okay. why first, and then and then let us stay on the edge of our seat until we know what this, who's actually going to win. Right. I I feel like every time I've been on, by the way, that we've had a revelation. Like I'm just I'm I'm like <laughs> this probably impacts my vote, but I'm just like good God, like what what like what else? <laughs> what else like, can what we say? Are yeah. there no other books in the Bible? Yeah. Um, first of all, I would like to mention, I had Fred say this earlier, that um, I, 
I think that I'm glad that you guys have let me do this and it's been a lot of fun, but I don't know if you know, but Rob Bell actually just wrote a book called what is the Bible, you know? And I really think he would have been the better third host. I, I'm really disappointed in you guys for not bringing him on. We, we thought about it, but then we said no. I, yeah. I hear it's great. And it's like $36 at Barnes and Nobles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's like a $20 Kindle book. So, you know, yeah. you can, but it would have yeah. taken our hour long shows and sometimes hour and a half long shows, like three hours with the, oh, yeah. You know, the staccato that he writes and talks in. And then we well, have to be on CNN and, and, and... Matthew yeah. is very meaningful. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, he has a, he'll write a 200-page book that you, you, if you just, like, fix the spacing, uh, it would have been, like, a 65-page book. It, yeah, I was yeah. going to say, and that, and that might be being nice, honestly. It, it's closer to 50, probably. That's how it got to college, though. You, you put in, in Courier New, and you bump it up to size 14, and the kerning... And then you do the spaces between the periods. Yeah, that, yeah. We're 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 on time with Newman Twelve now. They won't let you do anything else. Um, <laughs> all right, my so Thomas, I really like the safe space um, argument, and I, and uh, oh Matthew, I think that's really interesting. Something I hadn't thought of. And um, Sam, you mentioned one of the things that I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about the role of Matthew as in, uh, more than anything else as the bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, there's some stat out there about how I think like more than 125 allusions to old to the Hebrew Bible in Matthew. Um, you get the phrase "son of David" in Matthew. I think it's like ten times, which is like five more than the rest of the Gospels. Um, and right. even yeah. and even more critical or even more apparent than that is the genealogy um, that start that starts with the descent from Abraham through David, um, which. You know, it's, it's given the reader from the very beginning the clear indication that Jesus is a Jew who has a very strong Jewish lineage, and it goes from there. Um, one interesting thing is that Matthew, we talked about this earlier before too, is 20% unique. It is the, so, like, you know, Matt, Matthew has the least uniqueness between it and Luke. I think Luke has a, has a little bit more. Um, but what's really interesting about Matthew is that the stuff that's unique to it is pretty foundational in what is now common Christian culture. Um, it has an entire infancy narrative. I mean, obviously there are differences between it and Luke's. Uh, Peter only walks on water in Matthew. Yeah. You, uh, it has a different spin to it um, Judas, with Judas. I think I think he only purchases the field of blood, which is in like Matthew 27. Um, in Matthew, the dream of Pilate's wife only happens in Matthew. Pilate only washes his hands in Matthew. Um, you get some different um, new parables as well. You have the laborers in the vineyard, um, treasure hidden in the field, and then you, you then you also have like you know I mean the you get the beatitudes. Obviously they're in Luke, but a little bit different. So you get um, let's see, there's more. I mean so like the, what's interesting to me is though that the uniqueness of Matthew, although the least unique, is um, pre it stood over time. If that makes sense, like Matthew while um, a lot of the criticism is fair and should stand, um, does bring something to the table. And, you know, we have, as a show, have been pretty critical of Luke Twitter for a reason, and I'm just going to keep on that. You know, I'm just going to keep hating <laughs> on, on Luke Twitter. I'm just going to keep making them upset. Um, well, let me, let me jump in here real quick and, and say, I, I think I think you're making some good points about what's unique to Matthew. If our listeners don't know one really great way to figure out the relationship between the Gospels with all the material they have in common and what material they don't is to read a Gospel parallels. 
Right. And, maybe. and and the best one to get is by Burton Throckmorton. I will put a link to it in the show notes. Basically, it does exactly what it sounds like. It puts the stories from the Gospels in parallel columns. And if you want to learn how to uh, underline them and do a nice little coloring project to really um, read closely, uh, I, this is something that I I make my you know students do. Uh, it's it's one of the it will if you've never done something like this and never kind of really considered the relationship between the gospels it will change how you read the text uh so just wanted to put that plug in there as as you're kind of listing out all these things that only appear in matthew this is a really good way to figure out look kind of uh closely um in one story and see how does this appear in multiple gospels yeah good point and and it's along those same lines it's really funny i I got mine a couple years ago, and like this week, I'm I have a um, I've given a presentation on Jesus and his relationship to Jewish law, and um, I, the Throckmorton has come in very handy for passages that appear in um, the Synoptic Gospels. It's actually Jesus, and excuse me, it's actually the Synoptic Jesus and Jewish law. But anyway, um, my girlfriend got one for Christmas because I've been raving about it and talking about how much I like it and how much I, I use it, but m- mainly for like work and not for like you know. I'm not taking my Throckmorton to church at 11 o'clock, you know, and she, she, yeah, she's a great Christmas present though. Well, I don't think she's really appreciated that much. This is what I was going to say is that I think she's really, she's really confused by when she's supposed to use it because I think she wants to take it to church and she's like, no, I'm not taking it to church. She can't figure out when she's supposed to be using it. And I'm just like, listen, some people just don't get it. Okay. It's, it's fine. Like, I'm sorry that, I let you down on that. So Throckmorton may not be for everybody, but there are a few devout few of us who love it. I, I think it should be in every church pew with the with the uh, hymnal and maybe the Book of Common Prayer, or whatever your polity uses in in the Baptist world. You know the the Green Book. I, I think that there should be a Throckmorton there just just to keep the the pastor, yeah, you know, honest. on on our, on our toes. Yeah, because yeah. you know it, there's. There's nothing worse than a, than a pastor saying like, oh well, you know, as as Jesus says, and you're like, wait, Jesus only says that in Matthew. <laughs> but where and how and does he say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, we we need to let we need to let you finish with Matthew versus Revelation. I I don't know what else to say about Revelation. I just I really feel like I'm I've yeah it's run the gamut. But um, I would like I I noted this, Thomas. I'm really impressed that you knew who the uh singer of Gangnam style was like i just want to take my hat off right quick to that like you just you just noted that in your revelation thing so i just had to jot that down congrats i don't i don't even remember that song <laughs> don't remember do you remember the video i mean i remember the video but like honest to god like i don't remember i don't remember the guy's name i don't remember what he looked like so i was just really impressed by that well um, I, I will i will admit that i showed that video in class a lot so I, I, I'll put a link to the, the video I'm talking about with the guy doing the numerology. Um, so I, I'm, I'm pretty well versed with this guy's um, interpretation of Gangnam Style and Call Me Maybe. I got you. Yeah. Um, I will, I'm just going to reiterate some things I've, already, all, I've said about Revelation like the 13 times we've talked about it so far in this tournament. Um, it's by far the misunderstood, most misunderstood book in the entire Bible, I would argue. Um it does have all kinds of great stuff about it. I mean, great, you know, things to, you, you could teach an entire semester on just, just it. Um, it is still relevant. As I texted Thomas on Saturday when I was in a membership meeting, we were still talking about getting thrown into a lake of fire. So we, it's still being discussed. 
Um, obviously, I mean, I guess by being in the by by virtue of it being in the Bible, it's still getting it's still getting discussed. But I mean, you would think that maybe over time we would become less literally reading it. But I no, we're not. I mean, no, well, we're some going of the other way. <laughs> um, and I mean, but here's the thing: like apocalyptic liter- literature in general, reading it in its historical context is you can't overstate how important it, I mean how important it was for yep. some people you know right. um, you know yep. even though like the suffering of the Christian church in like 90 to 100 or whenever this is written isn't like at an all-time high it's still like hey um, you are experiencing suffering you are you think that you are you're the people of God and you know God is ultimately in control and he's gonna intervene on your behalf before too long and you know keep the faith the forces of evil are are going to be held off eventually and your suffering's not in vain. Like that's kind of your message here. And I think, you know, it was funny because you guys mentioned last week a lot about how um, every, every generation thinks that they're the last generation. And then you guys made a bunch of reasons why we could be the last generation, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if they know they're doing this on purpose, but they're kind of doing it. So like, I, I completely get the, the need for um, revelation and in in like modern culture and why people still love it so much, and I'm really looking forward to if they ever decide to do a um, movie adaptation, much like they've done with Left Behind. I hope Nicolas Cage gets to star in it, and that would be a, a real honor. <laughs> Connie, um, part two. With that being said, I went Revelation three to two over Matthew. Wow, wow! I thought you were going the other way there. Yes. Switch. I, it just, it's, here's the thing. I've said a lot about Revelation over time, and I'm bored of talking about it, but I still think at the end of the day, 3-2 over Matthew. All right. So that's. I, I just want to say I totally agree with you about apocalypse literature and the importance, and especially in the you know first century um, before the Common Era and in and, and the first century after the Common Era, even second century before the Common Era, things like Daniel. Um, you know, the. We, we really downplay apocalypse literature because it didn't make it into the mainstream. But good gosh, when you get back and look at, at the record, uh, that was so important. And Jesus was, you know, pretty apocalyptic. Um, so there's that. All right, so we have Matthew uh, with two points, four points and two points, and then Revelation with three, one, three. So Matthew has six points, eight points. Revelation has seven points. So Matthew, wow. Matthew is going to escape into the final round, and that's, that's so be... disappointing. Yeah, it really is. I, I'm I'm sorry. I I feel like I need to apologize. I feel like I need to go wash my hands. <laughs> well, so I, I will help you out there. Revelation is going to go to the bronze match. They're going to be on the podium, perhaps. They're gonna they're gonna face the the loser of the next round. Um, I don't like books that lose or, or books that get captured in war like Donald Trump. <laughs> but, you know, John McCain's made something of himself, so Revelation could be like John McCain. That's a terrible, terrible analogy. <laughs> so is. next up we have... <laughs> next up we have... Uh, <laughs> I, I, okay, first of all, I did not see Matthew or Revelation making it into the finals. That's weird. Am I right? I'm not really surprised about Revelation, honestly. It's so deep. It is, but it's it's. Mm. It, it's deep in the same way that like Job is deep. Anyway, 
Well, it, 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 uh, yes, I agree. I love Revelation. I, I, anyway. All right. First Samuel, Mark. So right. who went? So one of you two has to start it. Do I? Do I get to start? I'll start. First of all, Thomas pulled this trump card last week. Of there's no way in hell I'm letting Mark not make it, and and he gave Mark five zero over Genesis. And and he gave, it, no, was it four one or five zero? What was? It? Well, I yeah, think four, it was four one. one. Four, one. I yeah, left yeah. an opening. You, you left you left an opening. And I only went three two. I didn't. I didn't say five zero. Um, even though Genesis should have beat, in my opinion, should have beaten Mark. Um, so now, now here we are in the Great Divide with First uh, Samuel and Mark. First Samuel was up against John. So in this case, it would have been the Gospel of John versus basically Matthew, which. Uh, and, you know, supersession as much. But we, we've gone through this numerous times with the arguments, both for First Samuel, Mark. Um, my, my final argument is that, the and, and neither one of you are going to agree with this, and that's okay. And we're going to have two Gospels in the finals, and I know that, which is... In my opinion, a damn shame because there's lots. It actually of great, is. It really there's is. There's so many great books in the Hebrew Bible, and um, I, I feel like I am betraying everything. But uh, I, I love Mark. I'm not going to argue there. I mean, Mark, Mark, fantastic, and, and you both will speak to this. Um, so I feel like I have to get up and, and do the Atticus Finch argument for First Samuel because you, you're going to convict Boo Radley and send him to the to the you know lecture chair. So, um, for Samuel, um, the narrative language, the theological language, the overall composition of the story from where we are in Joshua Judges, to, to transfer that into 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, which, you know, and, and of course dividing 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings is a modern um, convention based on you know the amount of, of data that will fit onto a disc, but um, or a book in this case, but or a scroll. But First Samuel kind of fills this gap that without being there would it would have greatly affected sort of the competence, compositional structure of of both the old. Testament of the Hebrew Bible and and what we have in the New Testament. Um, I mean, the stories alone: Jonathan, David, uh, the, the rise of David, the the rise of Saul, um, Samuel, Hannah, the these strong characters that that play these increasingly complex roles, if you will. Not not saying that Joshua and judges judges weren't complex. I mean. You know, Gideon was a very complex character, and and Samson was a very, you know, complex character. But to see what happens with Samuel, um, I mean, my gosh, you know, uh, like just the narrative structure of that alone is is fantastic. And we as modern day 21st century Christians don't read enough of the Old Testament to begin with, but we certainly don't, we certainly don't put enough value in the Hebrew Bible to go back into a book like First Samuel to realize. 
um, you know, what's happening there just in the history of, of Israel. Um, and and one, of, one of the things that always calls me back to 1 Samuel is that that sort of tension between the, the individual call of a person and the call of God to uh, do something beyond yourself. So whether it's Samuel or David or Jonathan and what happens to David later, um, or Saul in this case too, um, we get this kind of constant struggling uh, of God relating to these individual characters in a way that we don't necessarily get in any of the other books of the Hebrew Bible. I mean, even in First and Second Kings, you know, God kind of is is a side character, you know, and, and God's kind of there saying like, oh, well, yeah, you know, the, this king wasn't good, and it's very formulaic, whereas in First in Samuel especially, and, and to some ex- extent Second Samuel with, with the David stuff and, and what happens with Solomon, but definitely in, in First Samuel, God is very invested, and God is really interacting and trying to make and trying to make this right. And and the character of Samuel, you know, working with the people of Israel um, to discern if, if, you know, do we want a kingship? Do we want to keep on going with this whole judges thing? Like, it, it feels like this Law and Order episode that, that kind of over and over and over again keeps keeps kind of coming to a, a pivot point. And as you read that book, it doesn't um, meander into, into kind of necessarily boring details. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff about, you know, the, the generals and that kind of thing at the end of 1 Samuel, but for the most part, the narrative really keeps you in the theological concept of what that that construct is trying to do, or what that book is trying to do. Um, and for me, that that's just fascinating. And for me, I think we as, I'm speaking from my position as a modern-day Protestant Christian, cis male, white person, um, not to downplay, you know, what Mark is going to do, and, and Mark is going to win here, but um, I think, you know, for me and my house, we will lift up Samuel 3 to 2. I'm going to pour some pour some whiskey out here for Samuel because he's about to go the way of Goliath. So who's next? John David? We didn't even hear your score. Yeah, I didn't, I said, I didn't oh, catch it. Did you, oh, I'm sorry. I said 3-2. First uh, Samuel. I think that's why there, there was the, the pause there cut out there, there just for a second. Yeah, Sam, um, when when you've been talking and it sounds like you're being trying to be Rob Bell, to be honest, that's what happens with the, with the pauses. That's all we, you just hear pause and then you're back at it. And I'm like, is this dramatic or am I missing something? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh no, that's no good. That's okay. Yeah, uh, three two. Yeah. So in this case, the listeners are. Right, we're we're characters in a story where we don't know everything, and the listeners are the um, are going to be the omniscient, um, the omniscient readers here, where they know everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, ugh, Skype is really falling down on itself tonight, huh? Yeah, it's pretty bad tonight. Um, I got new I got new internet last week. 100, 120 down now. Anyway, <laughs> all right, D-Ray, you want to go next, or you want me to? Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised of what just happened, honestly. I know. Um, here's the thing, Sam. Like, we we don't. I'm speaking for Thomas here. I could be wrong. 
Samuel, but we don't dislike First Samuel, right, Thomas? That's definitely true. Oh, you do you do dislike it? No, I don't dislike Samuel. Okay, yeah, Samuel. it's got some great stories, and it is a great book. And everything you just said, I'm I'm completely on board with, and I'm I'm in, I'm sad that you resigned yourself to go three two, but that's okay. I was I was looking for like some a verbal altercation between you and Thomas to really test your friendship, but that's okay. Um. Here's something that I wanted to point out before I did some analysis. First Samuel, you know, Sam did make the bracket. I'm not saying that he purposefully did it one way or the other. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. But here's who they've played so far. They've played all J teams. Second John, Jude, James, and John. Okay. John Gospel that's the, John uh, that's thing. the thinking FM uh, next gen stats there for you. That's right. <laughs> The Gospel of John being by far its hardest competition in its uh, in its you know um, trek to the Final Four. Second John, I mean, never stood a chance. Jude never stood a chance. James never stood a chance. Am I wrong? Did it w- it swept all those matchups right, until that's it right. got to John? So so at a free I, run I, to the Elite Eight. I, I can see your office right now, and it's it's like it's like the crazy wall, you know, where you've got the yarn connecting photos, connecting photos, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, here, here's here's Mark. You ready for this? Mark did not get a buy. It came out of the East bracket as a 46 seed, and has faced Song of Solomon, Psalms, Second Kings, Daniel, and Genesis. It's got to be close to the hardest draw in the tournament, right? But that is. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, can you imagine Psalms going out in the second round? I mean, that was pretty shocking. That was like back in June. You know, yeah. Second um, <laughs> Kings, which Sam has admitted, is a better book than First uh, First Samuel and Daniel. You know, a powerhouse major prophet, and then Genesis, who I thought was going to win this whole thing. Me too. So, so Mark, <laughs> I mean, has faced quite the group to get here. Um, I, Mark, I've also done two or three times. I guess at this point, we've all done them several times. Mark is my favorite gospel. It is the people's favorite gospel as this whole thing started, as it was true. voted on way back when. I know Thomas is going to drop us with a, um, a great line here in a minute from Mark. I think I saw the, I saw the tweet pre-show, so I'm excited for that. Um, I, I mean, I mean, what else is there to say about Mark? We've been, we've said it all. Do you just, you just see my favorite picture of Jesus and Mark. You've got the ending that, we love to talk to that. Actually, when I was doing some research today, I found a couple. Inter- uh, there's an interesting article I can share it with you guys, maybe if you want to, that if I can f- find it from where I read it from, about um, somebody somebody trying to explain why Mark would have purposefully ended his gospel the way he did, um, without it having to do with the fact, without it having to do with what we now see as possibly an intention. Um, Anyway, it was it was an interesting article. It yeah, was written yeah, by sure like a, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm just trying. I'm trying to pull it up right quick. Yeah, because I mean, we talk about that all the time. There was an interesting so. quote, but um, you know, we have met. Is Brutes Metzger Thomas? Is that the guy who you like? Yeah, Metzger is. Um, he's the one that does the the um, the Greek New Testament stuff. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. By the way, guys, Greek. Greek right now. It's it's still it's still kicking my butt, Thomas. We're gonna have to have like some tutoring sessions or something. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't know what I mean. I feel the same way about Mark and First Samuel. I feel like we've had this over and over again. I voted Mark over First Samuel, three to two. 
so okay so it's down to me then i guess um so five oh should i go ahead and click that in no actually i i said i i had my scores written down beforehand and the score i had written down for this was not five oh um four one <laughs> so uh, I, I do feel like, as I want to say a little bit about Mark, um, also going to save a little bit uh, for next time. Yeah, I did. I actually, so I tweeted this out earlier. I actually wasn't planning to talk about it in my reasoning for Mark today because uh, I've talked about it before. But but one of my favorite verses is Mark uh, 648. And it says, when he saw that they were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by. Which is just fantastic, and and um, a friend of mine um, made a meme for me a couple years ago based on this verse, uh, and it's fantastic. I've tweeted it out. You can see it. Jesus has his hands up, and he's rolling his eyes, and he says, you guys, I can't even right now. Um, so I, I do love that kind of picture of Mark, but, but let's see. What do I want to talk about? Okay, here's what I want to talk about, which is really interesting to me. We talked, we've been talking about apocalypse tonight. So apocalyptic stuff. So I want to keep talking about that and just real quick, talk about the apocalyptic stuff that we have in Mark and give you an idea of why we think we've talked about, um, this being written around 70 when the temple was destroyed. And, a couple verses. One, at the beginning of chapter 9, truly I tell you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Um, and then Mark's, what we call Mark's little apocalypse in chapter 13, toward the end of that, uh, verse 30, he says, truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. And so, if you if you say, okay, Jesus dies around 30, um, then a generation is about 40 years. In 64, you have Nero's persecution, uh, where he, uh, basically everybody thinks, sets fire to uh, a section of the city, blames Christians, just so happens, this is a section of the city where he wanted a new building project, right, etc., all this stuff, blames Christians, um, apparently, right, uses Christians as tiki torches in his garden. Um, so this happens in 64, and then you have the Jewish war that begins um, in 66. You have the destruction of the temple in 70. And so it makes sense that you have Jesus die around uh, 30. You have all of these things happening in the mid to late 60s, the persecution in 64, the war starting in 66. Um, and then you do have the temple destroyed in 70. That's a generation. So if you say this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place, it makes sense that they're sitting around thinking, okay, this is it. Like it's been a generation. And if these people were listening to Jesus a generation ago, and he said the generation will not pass away, we have the signs here. All right, so this tells us that Jesus is going to return right now. But but to give you a sense, too, of how you could actually believe that that was happening and that the temple was going to be destroyed, uh, or write as if the temple had been destroyed before it was destroyed. If you're writing in 67, 68, you've already had the persecution of Nero, you've already had the war um, started, you, you have Jerusalem being destroyed uh, it kind of makes sense, and you don't have to extrapolate much to understand that the temple will also be destroyed uh, very shortly. So that's what I want to talk about. Uh, one of the things I was going to highlight, because that's kind of what I'm doing now, because we have talked about these books so much, is just trying to highlight little things I think are interesting and little tidbits. So uh, I'll save some of my other Mark stuff for next week, because um, I am voting for Mark three two over First Samuel. So I did not go four one or five zero. Oh. This is the this is the vote that I had. And honestly, I was hoping Revelation would win. Um, 
I I don't want a two gospel matchup in the final. That is kind of a crappy final, in my opinion. Um, yeah, but I, I, I mean, this is what happens, I guess. Right? It's, it's Duke, Kentucky. Right? It's so. Let, let me ask you guys this. Since since we're here, if because this, this is kind of the the real problem. Sometimes I have with Mark. Mark canonically has that ending. And, you know, throughout the tournament, we've talked about how, you know, books would have been better without this or that, like Daniel or, you know, whatever. And here we are with, you know, Mark with this, you know, pretty different ending that would have been, the, the book would have been better without the ending that we have now, right? But it, but in well, the final form that we received. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, um, I mean, I read Mark as ending at at sixteen eight. Yeah, I don't, I mean, even, I don't do, even read but that, Mark. But that's not the canonical book. I mean, that's like saying like, well, I read Job, you know, without the the crappy ending too. Yeah, well, I mean, in my book, Mark ends at verse eight, chapter sixteen. <laughs> I don't even read what comes after it. Like it's so late. It's so. so I, like, I just I just cut out all the bad parts of Romans. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I mean, you know, if, I don't know. Mm. I'm showing that out there, you know? Like, uh, yes, I, I completely agree. Mark is the best gospel if you cut the, the last chapter off. Well, maybe off. that has something to do. I mean, we're getting into next week's matchup a little bit here, maybe. But, um, I, like, I'm keeping my hand a little bit. Yeah. I don't read 9 through 20 in Mark 16. But most Christians do. Right. <laughs> but, know, most... but they listen to the show and they learn the error of their ways. <laughs> But okay, so so do we consider these books in their canonical state, or do we consider them in our imagined state? Because in that case, we consider them in in, in uh, all of the above states. Hmm. I can't believe two freaking gospels made it to the end. I, I of all, thought it was of all books, would be two gospels. I just thought Thomas may be one of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I Which probably is a better gospel than Matthew. <clears throat> But it's just you know it's the it's the region that you end up in in the bracket. I mean that's like I, I think if Mark and Genesis had not been in the same region, then we probably would have had a Mark Genesis final. It, it should have been Mark Genesis. Yeah. By the way, I, uh, on on the topic of the ending, I I did a poor job trying to summarize what the guy was trying to say, but I think essentially his argument was that if you read Mark to understand that the the previous, or I guess in the Last Supper, Jesus says that, I think I'm. it's like something that's along the lines of, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I'm going to have my Bible next to me. It's like, it's in yeah. Mark 14. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he says that if you read it, then you would understand that Mark believes that Jesus has been lifted up and is now going to travel to, or going to whatever. I mean, I guess the resurrected Jesus doesn't necessarily travel by foot. He may, you know, do whatever he wants to do, but end up in Galilee. And so that wouldn't have been seen as a controversial ending in Mark's eyes. That was his argument. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think you could see that. But, uh, and, and, hmm. but the, the reaction of, of the women at the tomb and, you know, they, they, they had a lot of fear. It, it, it's kind of like an instructional thing. Like, so, you, you know, you shouldn't fear because, you, you know, you, you should go 
spread the word because these were originally, especially Mark was a, a book that was read out loud to, I mean, ideally to two, you know, groups of early Christ or early Jesus followers. Um, so I, I think there's some in, instruction there in, in the way that the women responded at the tomb. But it isn't, you know, it's interesting that it's women and, and they have to go back to Galilee. Um, you know, it's not, hey, hang around here in Jerusalem, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'll have to think about that some more um, for for the final matchup there. Um, and think about how that might play into the ending of it. That, that's interesting. I mean, that, that's a, definitely something interesting to bring up. Um, so I'll have to think about that. Um, if you uh, want to weigh in on the final matchup, um I don't know what's left to say about the final matchup, but we'll say something about it. Um, it seems kind of like a foregone conclusion, but it may not be. How, what about, what if you guys did like a, um, if you came up with like five or six or seven, I guess it needed to be an odd number criteria. Um, um, so like you could do, I don't know, I have to think about it, but like that way you could go point for point almost. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just something to think about because otherwise you could almost declare Mark the winner right now. <laughs> so. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and like you said, I do want to I, I do want to have a, a bit of a fan input. So if you have some input, well, we can we can throw another uh, we can throw another Twitter poll out there too. Yeah, I mean those seem to be really popular these days. But um, you should taunt people and put Luke as a third option. Just see what happens. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's coming full circle. It's great. Um, as you can tell, uh, all of our best content is on Twitter. So you should be following us there. Um, Sam is on Twitter at Sam Harrelson. Um, David is on Twitter uh, at David R. Allen Jr. I'm on Twitter at Thomas Whitley. You can always find this great podcast at thinking.fm. Okay. So, all right. All right. So, real quick, um, I'm I'm just thinking through the smart stuff at the end. What? You cut out. Cut out. I cut out. Am I there? Yeah. yeah I now, just but hear you. Yeah. All right. Jeez. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so the end of Mark. Like, what was that? Two fifty, three hundred at least. I. That's funny. I just just reading that. Um, there's like uh, Clement of Alexandria, Jerome. There are like yeah. four people around that time: Irenaeus and somebody else who all had had no who had no knowledge of the ending whatsoever. Right, and that's right, right. I mean, Metzger talks about that. That's yeah. one fifty. With Irenaeus and Clement. Yeah. 175. Yeah. Yeah, Clement, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, the longer ending might be... I mean, we don't... It's hard to tell, but, I mean, the longer ending might be way later than 200. Yeah, I was going to say, I think most people... Don't most people date it... I don't know. At least. So we might have it in a 4th or 5th century manuscript. Um, yeah. It's in, in Vaticanus. I, I think it might be in Vaticanus. I don't remember right off. I've got all that 
somewhere in my in the excesses of the recesses of my mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's people reading Mark and, and having a problem with it and saying, "Oh, this isn't right," and then just basically summarizing the end of Matthew or the end of kind of multiple gospels and putting yeah, them in they, there. Yeah, Matthew. I'm looking at this. Matthew and Luke both have chunks of its ending pasted into the right addendum of mark right yeah so when i'm thinking i mean when you read mark theologically without the virgin birth and without you know the the flight into egypt and all that stuff that you get later um you know mark starts basically with adult jesus you know and then when he dies like that's it um I, I just I, I just wish we didn't have that addendum at the end like thinking through the theological landscape like what a difference that would make yeah, yeah. pretty tricky I was going to say I, I'm curious I've never heard anybody preach on the ending of Mark yeah you know huh. yeah Somebody should invite me to preach so I can preach on the ending of Mark. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, most people go through, you know, Matthew or, or even Luke. But, yeah, definitely like the Matthew or Great Commission type stuff. Um, yeah, I like it. Uh, all right. Cool, guys. Thanks for fitting it in, making it work tonight. That's what she said. Oh. Well done, Sam. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That was fun. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye.